From the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season four of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here is your host, Heidi Moore. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Wine Crush Podcast. We are in beautiful downtown McMinnville for episode seven of season four, and we have a great show today. We are going to be featuring both Andante Wines and Corollary Wines, and we are so excited to dive into their stories and talk wine, talk story, talk people, talk places, and all the other stuff that comes in between. So we're going to start with Dan and Jean with Corollary Wines, and we're going to talk bubbles because they are bubble specialists, and that's what they're doing. So welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. And finally, we made this happen. We are busy people, and our schedules just weren't making it work. Yeah. So thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. So let's talk about corollary. So let's not only talk about the name, um, but let's talk about why bubbles. I mean, bubbles are delicious. Don't get me wrong. Bubbles but are awesome. Yeah. They're a party in a bottle. They, they are a party in a bubble or bottle. Yes. Bubbles <laughs> in a bottle. Party in a bottle. Yeah. So, okay. Let's figure out why. Why? Because you guys aren't from the Willamette Valley originally. I actually grew up in Beaverton. Oh, so you um, are. Okay. I, I am from the area, but I lived in California for about 20 years. And when we started thinking about the project, we did not live here. But, you know, when we started thinking about what do we want to do with the rest of our lives? And uh, we loved bubbles. So we had really just kind of gone down the path of thinking about making wine. And when we started thinking about focusing on bubbles, we just all paths kept leading back to the Willamette Valley. Yeah, there are some really awesome wines that were coming out of here and, and bubbles that were inspiring to us, like Analemma uh, was you know, making a cuvee that was really awesome. Yeah, we really love it here. The community has been awesome. Um, we met some folks like Andrew Davis, who had some of the equipment that you would need to make bubbles. And there's just the more we explored, the the better the idea sounded. And The Willamette Valley also really has all the classic champagne grapes or, or what's growing here, the Pinot Noir, the Chardonnay, the Pinot Gris, the Pinot Blanc. We have great climate for growing those grapes. And we have just a range of soil types, which we thought were really interesting. And really the sort of the culture of farming here was interesting to us. There's a real awareness of sustainability and really kind of a, an ethos of knowledge sharing that we loved in this area. So I can understand the whole idea of wanting to get in the wine industry because it's just, it's romantic and wine is amazing. And But why focus on just bubbles and not still wine as well? I think, you know, as we tasted through a lot of what was going on here, we we thought there was an opportunity to explore a lot of what you could do with bubbles here. You know, kind of the whole concept of corollary is, as you say, if, if you know one thing, then you know another, that's a corollary, right? So we want to be able to explore the relationships between the soil, the varieties, the styles, the the farming, and, and how that turns into bubbles. And by making a range of bubbles and a range of cuvées, I feel like we've been able to, you know, contribute to the conversation, at least around bubbles here. Yeah. I mean, I think there are lots of winemaking reasons to do it. There's also, of course, marketing. There aren't a lot of producers focusing exclusively on bubbles, and we just, we love it. And we thought that there was an opportunity to bring bubbles to the front of the conversation and really show people that there are a range of styles and that bubbles is really a, a food-friendly wine. I love the fact because bubbles, at least for me, growing up and coming into the wine industry, was always saved for a special occasion. 
And I think, you know, with what you're doing, you're bringing bubbles to a daily enjoyment rather than who got married, who had a baby, who got divorced. And what are we going to celebrate with? Well, bubbles. I love the fact that with what you're doing, you're bringing it to more of a, a standard that you can celebrate every day. Yeah, let's celebrate Tuesday, Monday. Who cares? Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, apart from that, bubbles is also one of the most food friendly wines out there. Great with fried chicken, great with all kinds of stuff. Bubbles for brunch is kind of a classic. I, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be drinking bubbles every day. So let's talk bubbles with food because you don't hear that a lot. You hear, you know, pairings with red wine versus white wine and chicken versus fish and whatever. So why bubbles with food being so prolific? I think that bubbles are great with food because bubbles are usually a, a fairly high acid wine. You know, if you're trying to cut the fat in a dish or sort of accent a salty dish, bubbles are really great for contrasting with those flavors and those textures. I think one of the things that we, we talked about early on in the project too is that bubbles are more than just like one thing. There's this whole range of different styles that you can have. We've got the our uh, Pinot Blanc in front of us right now, which is a very like dry style, which you know goes great with sashimi, but there's also a richer Chardonnay, which can stand up to more buttery things. And we even have this uh, rosé, which is very dark colored and done in a carbonic fermentation and like you can drink that with meat, turkey, or duck. It, it can really stand up to it. It almost drinks like a red wine. And so one of the things we want to be able to explore is uh, that whole range of different styles that you can create, which pair with all these different food combinations. It's interesting because I've not really heard anybody really go into the whole food pairings with bubbles and, and food. So all that makes sense and makes me hungry at the same time. So <laughs> I think there's confusion on sparkling wine and what is carbon infused and what is true Champenois style and then also what a pet nat is. So what's the difference between those three, if you could explain them? Yeah. So forced carbonating wine is is essentially just forcing CO2 into a wine that doesn't have CO2 in it already. That's not the style that we do. We do what's called traditional method, method Champenois, where you make your base wine first. So you press your grapes, you put the wine into a barrel, you add some yeast or do a native fermentation in the barrel. That wine stays there for about six months. And after that time, we bottle the wine. And into each bottle, we put just a little bit of extra sugar and yeast. And then we cap the bottle with a crown cap. And that sugar and yeast inside the bottle kicks off a secondary fermentation. And that's what's creating those bubbles. At the end of a kind of a, a waiting period, usually 18 months to a few years, we riddle and disgorge those bottles. So it's a process of getting the sediment out and you add just a little bit of extra wine and sugar at the end, the dosage, and then you add the cork and the label and it's good to go. So that's traditional method. Yeah. So contrast that to Petnat where you've got one fermentation and it's like at the the very end of the fermentation, we've got just a little bit of sugar left. You put it in the bottle and it finishes fermenting in the bottle and that's what gives it the bubbles. And then there's other types of methods like the Charmat method where you, you ferment it in a tank again to get the bubbles and then you transfer it into uh, a bottle. But I, you know, going back to the conversation of like, what makes bubbles so awesome? Like one of the things that makes bubbles so awesome is this whole secondary fermentation and all the time that you spend getting it there, right? So we made this wine in 2017. We just released it earlier this year, right? So it's a fairly long process. And 
during that process, not only do you have like the normal wine aging, which adds complexity and secondary flavors, but you've also got this whole cool process that happens in the secondary fermentation where the yeast breaks down. And that yeast breaking down adds other flavors into the wines. You know, the brioche adds umami flavors, it adds sweetness, and it just adds all this extra complexity into the wine, which I love. And it's one of the things that got me really excited about bubbles early on is just like this extended aging that you get and this extended complexity. And then going from there, like once you get into bottle and released and on cork, there's this whole other process that happens like normal cork aging, but the sugar in the wine too also starts to almost caramelize and you get toffee and you get coffee flavors. And it's just like, you get these layers upon layers upon layers and it's, I don't know, I just think it's so delicious. Like, yeah. It sounds really delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a long process, right? So like, this is like in the early side and we just blended a cuvee today, which started in 2018, which brings together all these different years, which is going to probably come out in 2027. So like, it's... Oh my goodness. It, it hurts to think about sometimes. So. <laughs> I can only imagine just how sad your wallet is with putting out all this money to make this wine and then you have to wait and wait and wait. Waiting is hard. It is hard. I mean, it's hard enough with just regular still wine because you're waiting six months. Well, it depends on what you're doing. So if you're planting grapes, you know, you got about a three-year period before you can really get your first full harvest. But then you put it in a barrel, you squish it, you do whatever you else. And it could be up to two years before you have something in a bottle. So all you winemakers have the best patience levels of anybody I know. I need so, a drink now. <laughs> yes. No, you, you and me both. So let's pause right there because that was a great stop. But I want to come back and I talk a little bit more about what you actually have in the bottles and what's available. And then a little bit more about your backstory. Okay. All right. Hey, wine collectors. I've got a question for you. What do wine and spirits bottles, functional wood art, and storage all have in common? Two words, Oregon Winewood. They're a local Oregon company bringing your vision for unique and personalized storage to life for over 60 years. If you've ever been to our office here in McMinnville, Oregon, you'll have seen his wine racks and custom desks spread throughout our entire space. So give his portfolio a swirl and check out OregonWineWood.net. Cheers, y'all. We are back and we're going to talk more bubbles with both Jean and Dan. And um, we have new bubbles being opened as we speak. <laughs> Woo! That was a good one. And nobody lost an eye. <laughs> but my friend Seema, she always says that when you open a bottle, it should sound like a girl's sign. But I think it's much more fun to open a bottle like that. Personally. Oh, I, I think so. It, it makes a statement. Not, not this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You need to get everybody's attention. So you got it now. You had mentioned a term cuvee at one point in time, and I want to just do a quick definition of that. I think we had talked about that years ago, but not everybody knows what a cuvee is. So what does that technically mean? It sounds like a beautiful French word that, you know. It's just a wine. It's a blend. It's, it's, it's what you choose to put in the bottle. So it might <laughs> be a blend. It might be a single vineyard bottling, but it's a, a bottling of wine. Well, that was more simple than I was expecting, but still lovely, just <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> okay, so I know when I came to do tastings at your house, I still have those quince you gave me. I have, oh, amazing. They're still in the freezer because I'm lazy. <laughs> um, those will get, I don't know, I'll do something with those. But we had, I think, four bottles of wine, all different. So are we? what are we currently serving and carrying? We actually have five wines now. So we have the the four that you tasted. So the first would have been the Cuvée 1. It's an Oregon blend for 2017. There's a little bit of fruit from outside the Willamette Valley. 
And so that's meant to be our snapshot of Oregon Sparkling. And the second wine that we have, we actually just released a couple months ago our 2017 Winters Hill Pinot Blanc, which we had not disgorged any of in our first disgorgement, which is what you had tasted at our house, just because it needed a little extra time on the lees to kind of integrate itself. The extra time with the the lees softens the hard edges. There's a lot of acid on that Pinot Blanc. And so we just wanted to give it a little extra time. We did disgorge it in January of this year. So that's that's the new one that you haven't tried yet. Is that what's in my glass right now? It okay. is. I have yes. I have tried it now. Great. <laughs> I'm wondering, it's delicious. It's- Great. And then we also have our Namaste Vineyards Blanc de Blancs. It's 100% Chardonnay from the Van Duzer Corridor. We have a Cattrall Brothers Brut Rosé. And we also have a Mamtazi Carbonic Rosé. So you're representing a lot of the different AVAs in in the Willamette Valley. Mm -hmm. So did you purposely do that to kind of pick the different AVAs to show the differences in the wine? Or was it just kind of a random luck? It's maybe a little bit of both. But I mean, it just goes back to that whole beginning concept of like, let's search, let's explore, let's let's look to understand the the relationships between the sites and what goes in that final bottle, right? Like Mamtazi, for example, has very renowned Pinot and like, what happens if we take that and do something interesting with it in bubbles form? Can we bring out that Mamtazi character, which is known fairly well in the Pinot circles? And do we see that in the in the final bottle? So we like at the very beginning, we made a list of all the different vineyards here and like tried to narrow it down. It's like, what what's good for bubbles? What do we think can create something exciting? Where are their cool sites? which give us long hang time, which have great farmers. And yeah, it's just been that exploration from the day day one. I love being the inquisitive and the curiosity that comes with the wine industry because there's not a one size fits all ideology with it. Everybody no. gets to show their own flavors, their own creativity. And you guys have definitely proven that with what you're doing. And there's plenty of other awesome like bubbles makers who are totally coming at the exploration angle from like different points of view and they're creating another interesting take. So I, I think it's really cool right now, a really great time to kind of taste and see what's going on in the in the bubbly side of the industry. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it seems like all of a sudden there was like no bubbles and now there's lots of bubbles. Yeah. And I love it because you can't go wrong with bubbles, right? And you should not put orange juice or other fruit juice with this sort of quality <laughs> of wine. If you yes. do, don't tell us. Yes. Don't tell us. <laughs> I've, I've had to have a couple you know, what fours with my girlfriends. I'm like, that is not mimosa wine. That is, yeah. I will buy you the cheap stuff. I'll go to grocery <laughs> outlet and get you whatever you need, but don't do that. So I know with your backgrounds, you are not wine kids. Like you didn't start in the wine industry. Like you're not second generation or whatever. So let's talk about kind of your backgrounds. Cause that's always so interesting to me how people get from point A to point B and then they get back to Oregon. And sometimes it's a long way around the globe on how they get back. So where are you guys at from day jobs? Um, so I, like I said, I grew up in Beaverton about 45 minutes from here. And I mean, I was aware of the wine industry growing up. I had a few friends whose, whose families were in the wine industry, but I wasn't you know, immersed in it by any means. I do come from a family that's very into food and thinking about food from kind of an agricultural perspective. And I spent a lot of time with my mom going to orchards and canning things and really thinking about it from that point of view. But I went to college in California 
And I studied communications and worked in marketing in the tech industry for many years. I also did some clothing design along the way. It was kind of a, a winding path. And just, you know, I, I feel like life is short. You should pursue what interests you and really, you know, dive into anything that you're passionate about and interested in. And so when we started thinking more about making wine someday, we really kind of dove in. And I, I don't feel like it's any different from anything else I've ever done. It's just you approach it with curiosity and, and go for it. Jean always has several irons in the fire, too, <laughs> which I, I love, right? She, she's a very creative person. So she also does like interior design in addition to like clothing and and the wine business. And, you know, I I love how she brings that creativity to to bear on the product or on the project. And I will second that because your house was just, it was so cool. I mean, oh, there was just you. some great details in there and I kept going, oh, but look at that. And oh, look at that. And oh, I guess I'm going to hire you when I'm ready to change my house out. <laughs> but yes. So, so a, all the good like design and everything that that comes from that side of the room. <laughs> You're not taking any claim to that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you come into the picture? Oh, where do I come into the picture? I move barrels around. Oh uh, my God. No. <laughs> <laughs> and a few other things. My my background, actually, I came from the tech industry. I was a software developer, and then I did like product development, product management, but fell in love with bubbles. I think one night I became friends with this guy who owned a wine bar, who, who we're now friends with. And uh, he owned this bar downtown where, where I lived, and I would go there all the time. And one night we opened this like big Jeroboam of very old Moet et Chandon, and Chandon or however you say it. And I was just like, holy cow, that blew my mind. And like, he eventually kind of got me tasting like grower champagnes and all these things. And I started to like fall down the the bubbles rabbit hole and just like met Jean. We, we started drinking a lot of wine and because I started going to California a lot and then ended up moving to California to, to be with Jean and like started just going more down the bubbles rabbit hole until we like started making sparkling cider in the garage and you know then slowly it overtook the tech side of the world for me. <laughs> yeah, it was Dan's idea to uh try making bubbles for the first time and you know we did some sparkling cider in our garage using just like farmers market bubbles. It was a total shit show. <laughs> not total. I mean the cider turned out pretty yeah, well, but good. the next year, you know, we were he was looking around for some grapes, but it's hard to get grapes in California if you've never made wine before. Nobody really wants to sell to you and so he was having a little bit of trouble and so we had this idea that we would make some wine someday. And one afternoon he calls me up. I mean, we're both still working full-time at, at day jobs at this point. And he's like, hey, did you still want to make some wine? And I said, sure, thinking he meant like someday. And he said, great, because I just bought two tons of Pinot Noir and it arrives tomorrow. Oh, geez. Yeah. Nice surprise. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so we jumped in. <laughs> no kidding. That's a good amount of fruit to just have a Yeah, yeah. It turns out whim. that was uh, a little more than we could reasonably process ourselves. <laughs> we had a friend who owned a winery a few blocks from where we lived, like an urban winery. And like, it comes in and he's like, oh, like, okay, there, this is not like a winery facility. It doesn't have like a forklift and like a big press that you can dump stuff into. It's like a big bladder press in a, a small bladder press, small bladder to press. Be generous. and so and he makes us like hand scoop the berries into the press because he doesn't want the forklift to the like the, not the, forklift. The, the, the pitchfork yeah. to poke the bladder so all night <laughs> we're taking handfuls Calling of grapes friends. in and out of the press oh, no. it, was, 
It was a process. It but, took a couple of days. But <laughs> look at the memories that it has created. Oh. Well, I want everybody to know where they can find you. So where can we find you on social media, emails, what events, or where are you doing your pourings? And then I'm going to ask my special questions. Oh, boy. Okay. So uh, we're at Corollary Wines on all of the socials. And we have a, a brand new tasting patio that we built up at Winters Hill Estate, which is where we make our wines. We do tastings there Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays by appointment. You can go to our website at corollarywines.com to book those. And we're going to be open through the summer, through harvest. We'd love to meet anybody who's into bubbles. That was well said. So eloquent. Okay, here we go. Ready? I don't know. Okay, you are so ready. Okay, (laughs) so two questions. Number one is, because we're talking about bubbles and foods, what is the best pairing you've ever experienced or you've heard of with your wine as far as food pairings? Ooh. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> Dan can't answer this question. Oh, my, my favorite pairing. Okay, so Gene and I, breakfast and brunch is like part of our ritual, though it's suffered recently, unfortunately. But like we love to make eggs benedict. You know, I was going to propose to Gene. And, but she kind of knew it was coming at the same time. So I was like, how can I surprise her? And it's like, okay, well, we scheduled this like weekend getaway and this like dinner. And it's like, okay, but I can't do it at dinner because people who do that, like, no offense, everybody who's listening, who's done this, like, it's not my thing. <laughs> so uh, I was like, I got to figure out a way to surprise her, even though she knows it's coming. So like, we're getting ready to go away for the weekend. I was like, oh, okay, let's have some brunch before we go. We make eggs Benedict and like, Okay, but it's a special weekend. We might as well have some champagne. So, like, we had a bottle of 89 Krug, I, I believe. Yep. It was good. So, I, like, pull it out. I'm about to, like, pour it in her glass. And like, Well, no, no, no. Here's yeah. here's what happens. He has it in a bag. And oh. he... Brown um, bag, I hope. It was a brown bag. Nice, and he, nice, very classy. He picks it up, and I'm. he pulls the bottle out, and I'm looking. I'm kind of, like, following it to look at the label to see what we're drinking. And so I'm following it. And this is classic misdirection because over in his other hand, he's, like, pulling the ring off the bottom of the bottle where he's taped it. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm following it and looking at the the label and being impressed by this wine. And then I turn around, and he's down on a knee with the ring. So this uh, was the best pairing for me. (laughs) (laughs) And we went straight to cheese, but so sweet (laughs) and lovely. I love it. Uh Okay. Okay. You take the cake. I don't even know if we need to go any further, but we will. So the other is you have one celebrity and one of your bottle of wines to share. Which celebrity are you going to share it with and and what wine? Oh, my God. Um, Oh, Oh, I wish you'd let us prep this question. Nope. That's Can't the... even think of a celebrity right <laughs> now. <laughs> um, oh, I I don't know. You know, okay, so this is probably not like my real first choice, but we were talking about, was I talking about this with you? Danny DeVito and like how he's like, he seems like a really cool dude. Like, <laughs> he'd be a fun guy to have a bottle of wine with. I, I think, think that's true. Which wine would you take? I don't think it would matter. <laughs> I'm with you. All right. Danny DeVito. That that was an excellent answer. And I would concur with that. He would be a kick in the pants to to have, well, do anything. him as a guest. Yeah. Danny DeVito, if you're listening. Yes. Give me me a call. We will. We'll come to you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, thank you guys for joining us. I so enjoyed this. Thank you for the wine. And you know me. I'll be back. 
Thank you so much for having us. This Thank was you. tons of fun. Okay. Talk to you soon. Hey, wine collectors. I've got a question for you. What do wine and spirits bottles, functional wood art, and storage all have in common? Two words. Oregon Winewood. They're a local Oregon company bringing your vision for unique and personalized storage to life for over 60 years. If you've ever been to our office here in McMinnville, Oregon, you'll have seen his wine racks and custom desks spread throughout our entire space. So give his portfolio a swirl and check out OregonWineWood.net. Cheers, y'all. Well, our glasses are full. We've played a little musical chairs and here in the studio and we want to thank again Jean and Dan for such a great story and interview but now we are back with the crew of Andante so we have Karen Aaron and Brandon and they have driven in from the Van Duzer corridor to join us today so if you are new to the podcast and you've not listened to this before we are in the heart of the Willamette Valley in Oregon in the Pacific Northwest so make sure and you know give us a holler out here and come out and drink some wine so we're going to start in with Andante. And the cool thing that I really found with you guys is the fact that you were in the heart of the brand new Van Duzer Corridor. And we've hinted to it. People talk about it. But really, what is it and what makes it special? And why does it change the wine? I think it's most special because of the wind. I mean, that's really what defines us. We also have some unusual sedimentary, marine sedimentary soils, but it's really the wind so there's a notch in the coast range, more or less due west of us. And in fact, Andante's right in the middle of the Van Duzer Corridor AVA. And so it does come in and it influences other parts of the valley, like the Eola Amity Hills also enjoy some of the benefits, but it hits us first, kind of like a train sometimes. We call it the Van Duzer Daily. It just blows in and it cools the vines down. It ruffles through the leaves and we have a lot lower powdery mildew pressure than some other parts of the valley. That's something that affects all grapes pretty much everywhere, but we're really lucky because it, it dries them out and moves the leaves around and it drops the temperature down so that we can get a longer hang time. We think it helps with our acidity. We even think it slightly thickens the skins of the fruit, and that's where all the yummy flavors and other color and things like that can be found. It's so interesting with wine and with grapes and whatever. There's all these nuances that unless you take the time to learn about what goes into wine, what goes into growing grapes and in a vineyard, none of that really means anything. But when you really start thinking about it and then thicker grape skins and the different colors and the cooling off of temperatures and how it affects the wine and the acid and blah, blah, blah. It makes wine so incredibly interesting. It does. And I think that's really part of the magic of the wine industry is that you never know what's going to happen thing with it. Whether it's the wind, it's the weather, it's the soil, it's the fires, I guess. You can throw some of that weird stuff in there that none of us expect. So, you know, when we're looking at your site in particular, you are in this really beautiful part of the valley. I've been up there. I've walked a lot of the vineyard with Brandon and the dogs. And I think Karen and Joe that day, it was a whole big group of us. We had a trek through the vineyard. It's just so peaceful up there. And so tell us a little bit about the vineyard, what makes it so special. And then let's talk a little bit about your wines and why they're, you know, how they really speak to the vineyard and where where you're at. Well, Andante is a term that comes from the world of music, and it, it's a tempo, and it's a walking pace. 
And when Joe and I found this site in 2009, it was actually in a USDA conservation plan because it was considered unfarmable. It's rolling hills, which grapes love. It was these shallow marine sedimentary soils, which our grapes love. It wasn't good for a conventional crop, but it was perfect for grapes. And it had this sense of peacefulness. We have so many birds there, everything from raptors to western meadowlarks and warblers and all the migratory birds that are coming through all the time. And the Chihulpam soil, which is predominantly what we have on our site, is a, a word from the native language that means land where beaver are plenty. And you just have this sense of nature almost undisturbed, not to say that farming grapes, you know, it's it's just this magical place that feels sacred to us. When we were standing outside, outside the tasting room, Joe was describing the herons that came in by the dozens and dozens. They were herons, right? Egrets. Egrets. Which are, I think, a member of the heron family. But think, they're, they're the, the great egrets. They're white. And all I could envision was the scene in the notebook where all the birds were kind of on the lake and on, you know, in the valley and whatever. And it just was this gorgeous imagery that I just haven't obviously lost because I still think about it. But it is just this really beautiful location that is really quite magical. Yeah. And we have an egret on our label because there are times that it varies from year to year, but there have been years where we've had 150 of them at a time that will come in at sunset from all the surrounding areas and roost in the trees over our pond. And it's it's a refuge. It's just amazing. And you are on the backside of the wildlife refuge, correct? Yeah, right off the of the north side. Yeah. So, I mean, it all makes sense. You know, there's just this really beautiful protected area over there. So that whole notebook scene in the movie just continues to kind of reel in my head. So um, let's talk wine because we have this beautiful array of colors and varietals. And Aaron is sitting here so patiently <laughs> waiting to talk about the wine. So let's talk wine and kind of how, you know, what your program looks like, you know, what wines we're drinking, how the Van Duzer, you know, winds have have affected it maybe. And we'll go from there. Yeah. So um, I think at Andante, our kind of flagship wine is actually our Soft Blanc. It just grows so well there. We get nice tropical fruit flavors from it. We also have Pinot Noir, of course, and Chardonnay. I think over half of our vineyard is Pinot clones, and my favorite being the 777. And besides that, we have Aligote. Our first harvest of that was last year. Very exciting. And Marsan. And uh, we're also going to get some Gamay this year, and we also make a Chardonnay. So let's talk about the Aligote and the Marsan, because those are not common varietals that we see in the valley. And I'm not even going to guess where they're from, because they could be Spain, it could be Portugal, it could be France, it could be Canada. I really don't know. So let's let's talk about what those are and how, I mean, just how they reflect. So Aligote is from the Burgundy area. It's another kind of shining star from that area. But um, Marsan is, I think, from the Rhone and um, it seems to be doing well. We did get our first harvest. And so I think it's a, a good site for it. Hopefully we get a little bit more this year. The Aligote did extremely well. 
got a lot of tonnage from that this year. But aligote is generally nice, crisp apples, lemon, citrus, get a little bit herbaceous note to it. We just tasted our 2020 aligote a couple days ago, and there's some real nice caramelization happening with with the apples. With the Marsan, you get a little bit of quince and pear. It's just a really rich, robust wine as well. So are they both white? I, I know that's yes. a stupid question, and I should know better, but they are both white. They are both whites. Not when a you stupid said, question. <laughs> well, when you say quince, and then you said robust, I'm like, oh, well, shoot, that could have gone red. So, okay, just just clarifying, clearing yeah. the air, so I just know what we're doing. So we've had your Sauve Blanc, and we opened up the rosé yesterday, and thank you for bringing another bottle, because we followed it out. So why Sauve Blanc? You don't see that a lot. And I love it. It's such a great wine. Are you growing that on site as well? Yeah. So actually all of our wines are from fruit from our site. So we don't purchase any from other people. I think Karen can best explain why Sauve Blanc was planted. When we bought our site actually in 2010, after thinking for about six months, do we really want to do this? We started thinking about what to plant and I planted what I like to drink. So I love Sauvignon Blanc. I love Chardonnay. I love Pinot Noir. And those were the first three varieties that we planted. So that was 2010. No, actually, I take it back. We bought the site in 2010 and we started preparing it. And then we planted in 2011. And then starting in 14, we kept going. So what started is thinking we'll only plant six acres and we'll probably sell the fruit has turned into something quite different. So how many acres under vine do you have? Since you started with six, my guess is you're way over that now. We have 15 now. We're actually thinking of adding two more varieties, hopefully this year. We're trying to make sure we can get the right scion rootstock combinations that we want for, drumroll, Chenin Blanc and Cabernet Franc. Because we think that we'll be able to ripen those. It's weird because the place where we're going to plant these is actually west-facing, So it's going to be a little bit warmer, but then again, we get that cooling breeze come through in the afternoon. So it's all an experiment, right? And it's fun. You just kind of roll with it. And so far, we've been lucky. You've rolled well. We've rolled well. Yeah. Everything that I've tasted has been lovely and delicious and, you know, you want another glass. So that's what you want, right? You you want people to re-pour their glasses, refill, and, and also come back. Yep. Yep. Well... I want to take a break right there because we have a new tasting room to talk about and we have more story to talk about because I know Joe's upbringing does not lend normally well to the wine industry. So I definitely want to uh, touch on that. And so we'll be right back after we fill some glasses. Hey, wine collectors. I've got a question for you. What do wine and spirits bottles, functional wood art, and storage all have in common? Two words, Oregon Winewood. They're a local Oregon company bringing your vision for unique and personalized storage to life for over 60 years. If you've ever been to our office here in McMinnville, Oregon, you'll have seen his wine racks and custom desks spread throughout our entire space. So give his portfolio a swirl and check out OregonWineWood.net. Cheers, y'all. So glasses again are full. We're really good at refilling glasses around here. So, you know, never an empty glass. So if your glass is empty at home, make sure and throw something in it and, you know, listen right along with us or drink right along with us because we're all doing that. We have now switched chairs. So Aaron, who is the winemaker for Andante, has now stepped out and Brandon has stepped in. He is 
I don't know really what your title is, because I think you're kind of a jack of all trades up there. Yeah, I mean, vine to wine guy, as they call me at the winery, is pretty much covers it all. Yeah. Well, I think you said that a lot better than I was going to do because I was going to go through about 27 different descriptors and that was a lot better. So anyhow, I want to talk about the new tasting room up there because, again, we've talked about the beautiful location. So we need to know where that's at. But I want to talk about what you guys have going up there as far as programs, new tasting rooms, and then we're going to jump back into your story and how you got into the wine business in the first place. So the tasting room Well, trying to do construction in the middle of COVID and then, well, all of the, there's actually been a lot of building going on. So it's, it's been a wild ride. We believe the tasting room will be ready to go in August. That's a little later than we had planned, but that's construction for you. And we're really happy with how it's coming along. We also have built a really beautiful, much bigger barrel room than we had before. And we're building a laboratory for Aaron because there's actually a lot of science that goes into making beautiful wine. And we're also building a kitchen where we will be able to prepare beautiful food to pair with our wines. So we're excited about that. Well, I think I heard word of a lanai being built on the outside of the patio or the tasting room as well. So you don't hear what the word lanai thrown around in Oregon very often, but when you have a guy from Hawaii that's the vine to wine guy, you got to bring Hawaii into the picture, right? It's the Aloha spirit, I guess. Yeah, it kind of follows me around. But, you know, it it really is, like Karen said, a, a very precious spot, almost sacred. And we love to have people over, as the term Andante suggests. It's a little slower pace at Andante. And we take the time to really get to know our our guests and we want them to feel relaxed like they're on respite from the the ordinary world and uh, that's one thing i really love about wine is it really slows you down you have to stop and think it's intentional it's something that you can find what you're looking for in a sip of wine if you're really looking for it and i think wine is a true expression of place so like an archive of time and place. It tells a story and it slows you down. You have to listen. And uh, our wines are beautifully made and really reflect our, our little 15 acres of vines. And I think to have that kind of come to full circle, you know, you see the vines uh, from the tasting room, you see the production, you see our press Wilma, <laughs> you see the barrels, you see the bottles. We just bottled about 1,200 cases. Almost 13. Yeah, almost 1,300 cases last week. And it's presented to you in a lovely lanai. So like a nice little patio. And you can gaze out. A lot of people think it looks like Europe with the rolling hills and the hedgerows and just open spaces. And we're surrounded by the basket slough. So it's a very romantic area to enjoy wine and quite, as we said, you know, precious. We want to, to keep it that way so that everyone can enjoy it, but not everyone at the same time. So we're only open by appointment for that reason. And we have an extraordinarily skilled staff. Brandon is a great representative of that. It's fairly small because we're a small vineyard, but the people that are there to guide you through a tasting Collectively, there's over 30 years of experience, and there's some really interesting backgrounds. So Brandon, for example, has a master's degree in music education, 
And Barb was an athletic director and coach for decades. And Jana sings in a rock band. And Aaron has a degree from U of O in environmental science. So everybody comes with these diverse backgrounds and a true knowledge and love of wine and the ability to convey that and help people, I think, really appreciate what they're experiencing when they visit us. That was actually very nicely put. And that actually leads right into your guys' story, because you did not mention yourself in the whole spiel about your, you know, everybody else. So let's start with Joe, because that was, it kind of blew me away where Joe's background was and how he got led into the wine industry. Yeah. Joe was raised in Southern Nevada in a Mormon town from a Mormon family of many, many generations. And I think they can trace back almost all the way to the early beginnings of that church in the 19th century. He became an ear, nose, and throat doctor, an otolaryngologist. And in the course of his training, particularly when he got up to OHSU for his residency, they were teaching him really how to critically evaluate texts and information and to make really solid science-based decisions. And in the course of that, he decided he wasn't going to remain a part of that church anymore. For those of you, many people, I think, have friends who are family members who are in the church, but you're not supposed to drink wine or coffee for that matter. He drinks both liberally now. I mean— And owns a winery. And owns a winery, (laughs) yeah. So it's just been— It's been fun. He's an excellent tractor driver. He can fix almost any piece of equipment on the site. He's just a visionary. And I give him credit for so many things, including the beautiful buildings that we've put up. Because when we bought the site, there was nothing there except a lot of Mother Nature and a water meter. And so every building has been something we've put up. And we've used Corten steel a lot for the exteriors because we wanted it to look like it belonged there. We wanted to be true to the land and the site and the surroundings. And that's been Joe's vision. And then when we built the building where our winery and our tasting room are, it's all under one roof, we built a pole barn. That was his idea too, because you don't need interior supports for that. And so it's just been this incredibly versatile, wonderful building. And Joe gets the credit. Well, we got to, you know, give you some credit in there too, because you have failed again to mention yourself and your the role. Jill of all trades. Yes. The Jill of all trades. Well, I laugh because we really do have this excellent, excellent group of people that serve our wines. And so my primary job on mornings when we're going to be open is I start by cleaning the bathrooms. I figured that they can do what they're doing better and I can clean the bathrooms. And I bust the tables and I gab it up with the guests because I actually love to talk. And it's sort of in my bloodstream, I think. That's really my job is to try to tell the story and keep everything clean. It's pretty important. Somebody has to be in charge of that. And the fact that you've taken ownership of that, kudos to you, because I don't think I would have stepped forward for that one. Everybody needs to do what they, you know, their highest and best use. And Brandon is too valuable talking about wine and helping us sell wine, which is what keeps the doors open. So I'm happy to do what I do. So I'm going to throw out like a challenge because I know Joe is a really great pianist. Brandon is a great musician as well. Viola. Yes. And now you have Jana with a rock band. So I'm thinking we need to have like this little trifecta of like a music concert up there. 
Oh, it'll happen, I'm sure. And we do have many concerts. We do. So my string quartet performed there, and we paired some of the pieces with our different vintages of Chardonnay on International Chardonnay Day. It's a true expression of kind of everything that all of us are, musicians and artists and winemaker and farmer. It's kind of the nexus of what we do. And so it's a really incredible place for me to work because I get to express that in every level. I get to spend time with the vines, have that outside experience with the wind and, you know, being with the vines and seeing how they grow. In fact, we just noticed that we have a really early bloom this year. Our triple seven is like about 50% bloom. So that means maybe an earlier harvest this year, but it's just exciting to see how mother nature will just surprise you. I was walking down the aisle, not thinking about bloom until I smelled the flowers or the inflorescence. And I was just like, wait, that is a familiar smell. And I looked down and sure enough, we're at bloom. (laughs) There they were. That's the fun thing, being so tied into mother nature. It forces you to kind of slow down and realize that you're not really in charge. And it's best to just kind of let mother nature express herself. So- I think it's very beautiful to kind of see that all coming together in one place. And we're small enough that we all are staying in touch with all pieces of the business. So my background is actually a a lawyer. I'm a lawyer still to this day, but my practice now is confined to just doing all the regulatory work that goes with running a winery. And I do our bookkeeping. And so all of us who work there, which is a fairly small team, are tied in directly to some aspect of the business. And we've also got the shared history of taking a lot of classes at the Chemeketa Northwest Wine Studies Center, where both Brandon and I have our certificates in vineyard management, vineyard operations, I think Mm -hmm. it is. It's just great being a small team in, I mean, we have 42 acres of land, 15 of which is planted in grapes, but, but it's small enough that you really can keep all your fingers and all the pie, and then lick your fingers. (laughs) (laughs) And enjoy it. Well, let's tell everybody where we can find you. Social media, website, all that. And then I have one question for you guys to finish up. Brandon can do the social media stuff. That's more his bailiwick than mine. Yeah, I mean, it's just on Dante Vineyard on all socials. And we're at 3855 Morris Road in Dallas, Oregon, just beyond the basket slew off of the twenty-two. Perfect. Easy enough. Okay. So here's your question. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. So you're on a deserted island and you get to (laughs) choose one wine and one person dead or alive to take with you to hang out with. Oh my gosh. I was wondering if you were going to ask the dead or alive part. (laughs) Yep. Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Uh, So I think first name that comes into my mind is Janine Garofalo. Because I think she's just a kick, right? And she just seems like somebody that I would want to hang out with and just kick it with. And I think we're on a desert island. Yes. And I need to bring a wine. Yep. You're uh, going to be thirsty, so you better bring a couple bottles. But what the- would she like? I feel like, so she got the Italian roots. So yeah, so maybe something a little more robust to go with her personality, I think, too. Gosh, some kind of big red. I, I think- just like they described earlier, I don't think the wine would be as important if Janine Garofalo were sitting right in front of me, but I would say I'll have what she's having. Perfect. I love it. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. This has been so incredibly fun. Thank you, 
Karen, Aaron, and Brandon, and Jean and Dan, Corollary Wines and Andante Vineyard. Uh, make sure that you find them, buy their wines, just find them and drink the wine and enjoy it. So thank you for joining us. We will see you for the next episode and you guys have a great weekend. We want to give a special thanks to all of our partners of Wine Crush Podcast, sponsored by Country Financial, produced and managed by the Daydream Agency, our culinary partner, Pura Vida Casina, and to all of our wonderful listeners in Oregon wine country and to those around the world. Thank you so very much. We really appreciate all your support.